0: Welcome to Education Perspectives. I am your host, Liza Holland. This is a podcast that explores the role of education in our society from a variety of lenses. Education needs to evolve to meet the needs of today and the future. Solving such huge issues requires understanding. Join me as we begin to explore the many perspectives of education. All right, friends and neighbors, we are so excited to have with us Nima Brewer, and her bio is just so awesome. She's a working mom and wife. Nima became an accidental activist for public education in 2017 and hasn't shut up since. Welcome to Education Perspectives, Nima. Thank you, Liza. I appreciate being on here. I feel
1: incredibly fancy and like I've arrived. So for being on this podcast, I appreciate it.
0: Well, I am so excited to have you here. This is my little passion project. I feel like education is such an important part of our society. So love to be getting all the different perspectives and voices on. And you have had some interesting things going on, girl. So to chat with you about that. So let's kick it off with the question I ask every guest. From a 30,000 foot view, why do you think that we as a society invest in education? Well, you know,
1: for me, and I'm sure a lot of people say this to you, but for me it is the great equalizer. It's where we learn how to be citizens, it's how we learn how to be good neighbors. It's where we learn how to get along. It's where we learn that people aren't exactly like us in this world. It's where we I guess learn how to be a civil society. It's where we learn again, it it goes back to people aren't just like us and it really is the place where we all should be starting from the same starting point. And where if that does happen and lives change, directions, courses can change, paths change uh, in our public schools, so much more than just learning and the ABCs and the one, two, threes go on in our public schools and behind the walls. And I don't think that people really understand, especially in today's society, there's so many things that, wonderful things that bloom and grow in our public schools.
0: Okay, so tell me what drew you to education?
1: Well, my grandma was an educator and it was not the career that she ever thought she would be in. My papa died very young. He had black lung and uh, it killed him very, very young. And so in preparation for his death, my grandma went back to school. And became a teacher. And so because that was the job that you could do as a woman back in those days, and she still had two kids to raise. My mother was 18 when my papa passed away. So she was already married, you know, then you get married and you moved out. And so she was already married at the time. And so but my grandma had two other kids to get raised and out of the house. And so she became a teacher and she got her master's degree and her rank one. And she was actually really, really good at it. She walked the picket line back in the early 70s and 80s for a nickel raise. And I remember her doing that. And I remember her telling the stories of being a teacher. I remember her grading her papers at night and with this calculator that was this little Texas Instruments calculator, you know. And I remember how proud she was to do that. My grandma passed away. Woo, I always get choked up because when we started really paying attention, when I started really paying attention to our pension system. And I'm not a teacher. I want to be really clear about that, Liza. My I was a employee for Fayette County Public Schools for 18 years. And as a salaried 12-month employee as a graphic designer, I was in the teacher retirement system. So that's kind of how I got into all this because our money was intertwined, right? And so when all of this stuff, I started hearing about the pension stuff about 2015. And I always really was appreciative of public ed my grandmother, like I said. And I'm a product of public education. My daughter goes to Fayette County Public Schools. And so, but I really started paying a lot of attention to the money situation. And I was talking to my grandma about that, who had already retired at this point. We started talking about it about 2015. And 2016 came along, and I was really worried about it. And she said, well, you you don't think they're going to take our money, do you? And I said, I don't know. But if they do, we're going to have some issues. Because, you know, that pension was the only thing my grandma had. She couldn't
0: get my pap off Social Security. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's something a lot of people don't understand is that the teachers don't have any access to Social Security. They don't. And if they do,
1: it's very minimal. And it's because of the hours that they were able to bank prior, if they had a career prior. Mm -hmm. So anyway, back to the issue. So basically, I got involved because I was concerned for her and I was concerned for myself as well. And I started really paying attention And really, my grandmother has been the guiding force behind a lot of this, her resilience, her ability to keep fighting when the fight seems completely hopeless to basically say this area has worth. Uh, I'm from eastern Kentucky. You know, my grandma never gave up on the region, never left the region. You know, she passed away a few years back and she still is the catalyst for a lot of the work that I do, because she really believed in community and the public school as the epicenter for this community. And after she retired, she started a clothing bank for working women who maybe couldn't afford, you know, that, and all these other things. So really and truly, that's kind of where my stuff started. And it's really, I think, Liza, when you start getting into advocacy work, you start with one thing, and then you realize that it's an onion (laughs) Yes, indeed. And that everything is intertwined. And then you have a decision to make. Do you ignore the other layers or do you start to fix the obvious issues that are really causing and exasperating the, the other issues? And so what I decided to do was just jump in and say, nothing changes until all these things change.
0: That is really inspiring and I love the intergenerational inspiration about it. And I think that there's not enough people out there that really understand the intricacies of what public employees are looking at. And you know and so like you say there's an onion there to be peeled and just when you think you've got one licked another one presents itself. But can, can you tell me a little bit more about the beginnings? You know, you became an accidental activist in 2017. How did it start for you? Where did you start to talk to people? How did you start your advocacy efforts?
1: So, I'm a co founder of people who don't know the 120 Strong Movement which started in 2018 officially. In 2017, the uh, electeds in Frankfurt, the legislature, decided that they were going to change the pension system. And they went on this tour throughout the state trying to sell this great plan by, at the time, Governor Matt Bevan. And so they were having these listening tours and all this stuff. They quickly found out that that was probably not a good idea, right? And so a lot of public employees were showing up and state employees, because at the time, state employees were included in this master plan. So what had happened and everything, you know, this is one of the things, this is why I say it's accidental. A lot of things I've noticed in this journey that has I've, has, I've been swept up into Has all been these really beautiful coincidences. And so I go to this meeting. It was here at Douglas, Frederick Riggles High School, right down the street from me. And I go in and I don't know anybody except, you know, co workers or something like that. And I go in and I'm there to speak, you know, see my senator at the time was Ralph Alvarado. And a woman comes up to me and I hadn't seen her since college. So it being like, you know, 15 years, something crazy. She comes up to me and she's like, "Nema, oh my gosh. She was like, will you come after this? Can we go have a drink with so-and-so and so-and-so? I worked for the state and I had gone to college with her, right? And she goes, I work for the state now in the retirement system. Okay. And a couple of friends of mine who work for the state, have just started this page to give the state employees information about the pension. And they got 15,000 people on it. It's called United. We state and they want to do a rally, but we don't have any idea how to do it. And we saw you got kicked out of the Capitol in January for arguing about right to work. And I had because I had gotten involved in watching what was going on in Frankfurt with pensions and with working folks because of my daddy and my the year before and my dad was a united Mine worker and at the time the federal government and mitch and everybody was messing with his pension from the united Mine workers so and whenever they did right to work i was up there at the capitol that day you know screamed hey you know this is wrong y'all hate labor. And I got taught. I didn't know what was going on. And they showed me the door. And so I had kind of earned this little pseudo reputation that I didn't even know about. Because again, totally accidental. (laughs) Totally, you know, and I just, you know, fired off my mouth because I was, you know, 606, mad as I could be up there with my daddy. And so they said, can you help? And I said, well, I don't know nothing about a rally, but we can you know, we're smart women. We can get this figured out. So we met. I said, well, we can do something here. So we had the first rally in November of 2017 and it was United We Stand. And by I guess it was February of, the, of 2018, it was becoming real clear that this was not stopping and that nobody was stopping. it. And by March, the beginning of March, Friend of mine in Louisville said something's going to have to happen. And I don't think the teachers can do it, but we're going to have to have them because they're the largest block and they are a powerhouse when they wake up. And I started thinking back to my granny on the picket line and on what she said. And she told me, she said, she said, you know, pet, I didn't do it just for me. I did it for the future. And I said, well, If they can't say some things that need to be said, I can say it. Because I am not bound by professional standards, but this is my money too. And so I just opened my mouth. And I guess it resonated, Liza. It resonated. And the next thing I know, I said, and we were watching West Virginia. Because if you remember, at that time, it was the wave you know, but it was started in West Virginia. And so being from Eastern Kentucky and having those coal mining roots and watching these sons and daughters of coal miners in West Virginia rise up from Mingo County and shut it all down, really stirred, you know, this Mm -hmm. Eastern Kentucky blood. And I said, I connected with some folks, we connected, we learned all we could. And in three weeks, We taught ourselves, we connected with people we didn't even know. It was, and I'm going to tell you, Liza, it was women. It was mostly women. Men supported us and were behind the scenes, but it was women. Moms, single moms who had never raised their voices before from every corner of this county, and this state, every 120 counties. And in three weeks, we taught ourselves how committees had worked. We taught ourselves how bills worked. None of us knew. We taught ourselves all these things. We identified legislators. And in three weeks, we had shut down 30 counties in the state, and nobody knew where it came from. But it was pure grassroots passion, anger, and rage. And I've never seen anything more beautiful or terrifying in my entire <laughs> life. I mean, for real. Yeah. It was amazing. I've never seen anything so organic, so Kentucky. I've never seen Kentucky in my lifetime do that kind of stuff.
0: Oh, that's just it's so inspiring because that's democracy at its absolute finest right there. Yep. It's at its absolute finest. And I resonate with that a lot, you know, back when you and I got to work together. I was uh, heavily involved in PTA and started the Our Kids Can't Wait campaign for the funding for schools. And it's amazing to me how much learning you do as far as really realizing the whole process and how you get your voice heard and all those different pieces. And it sounds like you all did it in such a short amount of time and to such tremendous impact. That's just inspiring. That's advocacy at its finest. I mean, it was truly amazing, and I think
1: what's really uh, to the credit of a lot of folks, we're, a lot of us are still together. We're still fighting the fight. We're family. You know, we care. And the greatest thing too is just to see how many folks have kept their voice and have risen even more. To you know, I mean, my goodness. I mean, that has been. The most amazing thing, and none of us today are the same person that we were. I mean, you know, the confidence, but the most amazing thing is I think that we've, I would hope that we've made a difference for kids and our communities. And I would hope that we have shown people that just because you're not high up on some food chain or the totem pole, that you can make a difference when you all move together, right? Under one singular mission you can do something. And we got Bevin out of there. I will forever believe that our pushing and pushing and standing together was the difference in that race. Absolutely. I would 5,000 votes and I'm going to tell you, we earned every single one of them because we did not stop in 2018. We knocked on doors across this Commonwealth. We busted our tails. We knew that we were probably going to be separated with like legislative seats, but that statewide, they could not separate us. They could not gerrymander us. And so, you know, it was really, it was something to behold. And I'm going to tell you, I'm just humbled to be a small part of it. I tell people, I'm like, listen, I'm not a teacher. I just get to hang out with a bunch of them. And they are some amazing folks and support staff, you know, support staff. They're amazing people.
0: There are so many different people that make our education system work. That was part of my inspiration for starting this podcast, is realizing it's although teachers are an amazing people that are so underappreciated. And that was part of the impetus. But so many people are involved tangentially, even the system itself is what our communities live and die on and what our future is all about. So, very important piece of society to be involved in. Can you tell us a little bit more about the different onion layers that you are uncovering and what you're involved in now? So what we
1: decided, so after we went through all of this crazy stuff, of course, we hit COVID. And then we really saw... I think the worst in a lot of people. We saw the best in people, but then simultaneously, it was almost like overnight there was this shift into this absolute divide. And what we started noticing amongst the 120 grassroots uh, group, which, you know, we have almost 40,000. At our peak, we had about
0: 40,000
1: folks in that group.
0: Now we have about 35,000. So we're, we're holding an steady. an amazing retention rate when you didn't have the... Sp- well, I mean, seriously, when you don't have like the issue that you're backing, that's got a lot of staying power. That's, that's Yeah, tremendous. you
1: know, we're pretty proud of that. But the thing is, is so I think it's because people trusted us and they still do. And I think that's really important. Basically, after that, we hit COVID and we started noticing that There was a divide, not just between the rank and file, but there was a clear divide between the community and the schools. It was starting to show itself. And it started to become incredibly ugly in a way that I was completely shocked by. And I started getting really protective of some of my folks because it was hurtful to a lot of people that I care a lot about. And I just kept thinking, oh my god like if my grandma like knew that this was being said about public educators you know like oh my gosh like thank God she didn't have social media you know like woo I mean it was just it was really sad and I kept thinking these are the people that you go to church with that are saying this like these are the people that are on the little League like you know auxiliary with you I mean And you're talking about them this way? Like you're saying that they're... And then it's just evolved into this really nasty accusations of grooming and pedophilia and just, you know, teaching them all. And I I mean, it's... So it's turned into this really disgusting thing. And it's just been festering. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we started really thinking, how do we fix this? You know, because... At its core, the community and the public schools function simultaneously together. That's how they succeed. And Mm -hmm. one function, they cannot function in a healthy way without each other. And they need each other. And so we just started thinking, what is it that we can do? And so we really started thinking, first of all, we've we've got to get back in our community. We can't be siloed off anymore. We just can't. And so, you know, we were like, what's the direction? Do we keep the 120 alive? Are we done? I'm going to tell you, I was done. I was like, you know what? A lot of our folks were done because, you know, we had because let me tell you, it's not all unicorns and rainbows and it's not, you lose more than you win. And, you know, and people are just ugly. And I got to a point where I was just done with people in general. And so, you know, it takes a toll. It takes a toll on your family. It takes a toll on your own kid. It takes a toll on everything. And so, you know, I said, listen, I said, I'm not sure what the future is, but we all need to kind of figure it out. And so in June, well, in December, this was a couple of years ago. This is right when we were coming out of COVID. We had gotten a message from Ed Massey, Representative Ed Massey, and he's trying to come back. He was beat, but he's trying to come back. But anyway, he reached out and said, hey, we'd love to get the 120s approval. We're working on this pension bill for new hires. And I was like, and but, you know, we've got all the K groups, which, you know, we call the K groups that K education groups, you know, the Superintendent Association, CASA, you know, all that stuff. All the K groups are loving it. They're in on it. But we want to get you all to. And I'm like, all right, Ed. So, man, Jenny Ward, who uh, was our Zone 6 leader, which is Lexington area. I said, Jenny, let's go up to Frankfurt. And so we drove up there one night on December. We sat down with him and Kim Banta, another representative. And they start selling us this great story about pensions for the new hires, and it's going to be this great hybrid plan. And I said, now, are they going to get Social Security Ed? And he says, well, no. And I said, well, I'm sorry. We're just not interested in this plan. And he said, well, everybody else is interested. And I said, well, we're not everybody else. And I said, plus, I said, our, one of our main things is we no new hire, no new hire pension system. It's like one of the top things, like no new tiers, no new higher pension system. And so I was like, thanks for the meeting. And we were done. And on the way back from that meeting, as soon as we were walking out of the door, I looked at Jenny and I said, we're calling American Federation of Teachers. And that was when we knew that it was time, if we were ever going to be seen as legitimate in Frankfurt, because, you know, they wanted you to have, you know, some... Fancy structure and all, they wouldn't let us testify. Sometimes, you know, like they would never invite us because we didn't have a K official. Yeah, correct. That was one of their excuses, right? So they were always chasing this, and we had been doing research on American Federation of Teachers over the work that they do in their communities because social justice and the community are two major things that AFT really wants their charters and their locals to also focus on. So it's almost like a parallel missions, not only. And so we called them and they said, well, we don't have a a non-compete clause in Kentucky. Let's talk. And so by January, we were talking to them. And by March, we were like, we're out and we're forming our own. And we've been doing that since. And I'm going to tell you, I said at the time, I'd rather build than beg. And building is harder than anything that you will ever do in life. But I'm going to tell you, it's been worth every tear, every struggle, every gnashing of teeth, because we are charting our own path. And the goal here, Liza, is community is going back the old school stuff right like yeah community schools like AFT is a huge Like they've invested $5 million in support of community schools across this country. You know, we've invested millions of dollars to give away free books for kids. And we've actually been able to provide those here in Fayette County for the last two years. We've given away about 45,000 free books to kids, including books that have been banned, you know, for no reason. And those were the first ones to go. You know, books like I Love My Hair. You know, I mean, sorry about that. That was my HR director, the Corgi. Like we have been able to do these things and we formed a community coalition of people who who do the work in the trenches and have for a long time, but never get a seat at the table. And the reason why is because that's how we felt like outsiders, right? Like the ones that never get invited to the chicken dinner but have been doing the work, you know, the heavy lifting. The doers, absolutely. Yeah, so our focus is let's get back to the community, man. Like, and let's not do it as a transactional ally. Let's do it as an everyday mission.
0: See, I love that. Yeah, how
1: can you help us?
0: It's been like a checkbox. Okay, we're doing family and community engagement and we're reaching out to industry and okay, we checked that box and now we can keep doing what we're doing. And I just really feel that For the health of our future, we have got to get back to where it takes a village to raise these kids. We have got to get back there. And I tell you what, part of the reason why some, in my personal opinion, nefarious characters are able to sell this story about grooming and all this kind of stuff is that they're not actually in schools. They're not in there. They're not seeing it happen every day. And I mean, that was my first reaction when I started hearing some of the stuff that was coming up at the legislative level. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This has so little to do with what's really important in schools. You've obviously not been there. And I think that there are people that are trying to spin narratives and trying to upset people that, are just not spending time in schools. They're they're trying to rally opposition just for the sake of rallying opposition. And I would love it if we could get back to what's really important. How can we better prepare our kids? How can we give them deeper, richer learning experiences? And how can the community help to collaborate with that? Yes, You know, I mean, we've got all this stuff with AI and the internet and everything else. It's not about content anymore. It's about how you process information and how you are a lifelong learner. Yes. And Lordy, that's the rallying cry that I want to be hearing, not banning books and none of this other garbage. Like, and so with AFT, it's like, like I
1: said, like it's a whole thing. We're unleashing it, unleashing it this year. It's basically what kids and communities need. It's not about this whole thing. It's basically looking at this mess that has been created by all this rhetoric and all this stuff and saying, hold on, what's really going on here? So I was in Frankfurt this week and, and I was there. I had talked to some folks about the, our priorities for the legislative session. And I'll tell you, one of the other things that we really feel strongly about is that we have forgotten as a, I guess, a unit, right? When you talk about public education employees, we have forgotten as a unit that really and truly where we need to be fighting our fight right now is at the local level because we have completely lost. Frankfurt is a wasteland and you can hold your own and do the best you can, but you are going to get your high man whipped in Frankfurt. You can guarantee it, right? And so... What we're trying to do with 120 AFT Fayette is we are trying to reconnect with our city council. I'm amazed at how many council members I've talked to on the fly and they've been like, oh, my goodness, thank you for inviting us to your book event. We've never been invited. And I'm like, well, we need you just as much as we need. Because one of the issues that we really have been looking at has been affordable housing in Fayette County. A lot of our employees don't even live here because they can't afford it. And there's a whole lot of buy-in that you're losing. If you don't feel a part of the community because you don't live in that community, it's a lot easier for you not to care as much about that area, right? So we want our employees to be able to live in the area that they serve. And so there's, and plus, let's talk about our kids that are constantly having to be moved further out. Their parents can't afford rent. There's no consistency from K through five or six through eight. These are issues that are real. That affect the kids' learning, that affect the learning environment, the working conditions of schools and employees in those schools. And those are things that can be addressed, but not at Frank in Frankfurt. Those are things that can be addressed right here in Fayette County, and they should be. And the educators and public school employees absolutely should be in part of those conversations because collective power. And collective voices matter. And that is the key. And what I see here and what I see in these issues, there's too many silos. Too many people want to be held, want to get credit for the work. Too many people want to get the pat on the back. We don't want a pat on the back. We want people to do right by our kids. We want people to listen. And I think, Eliza, that's another thing. Too many times as adults, We decided that if we don't like somebody, their idea sucks. What we've got to do to get back our community and to get back some of this stuff, we've got to grow up and we've got to invite dissenting voices to the table and say, how have we failed you? What can we do to earn your trust again? If you were to say that to somebody, if you were to say that to me, I would immediately be like, whoa. Liza, has anybody sit down that's ever that you've ever felt like you're not getting heard? Has if has anybody
0: ever sat down and said that to you? I guess I'm going to have to say, yes, I have actually had that happen. That's awesome. And that's why it's so amazing and unique. Yes. And I actually just finished a program with the Harwood Institute about being a catalytic community guide. And Just it's some of that is choosing who you run with and gathering people together to realize that, okay, we may not agree about all the fine details, but let's sit down and think about what we can, what can we do and how can we move the needle? Even if it's something really small, let's get together. Let's build trust amongst one another and let's really get back to where we feel comfortable again, because you're right. It's gotten ugly. And and we might not uh, ever none of us can sit back and not do anything.
1: That's right. Because not doing anything and just being angry gets us yeah. nowhere. And no. it hurts our kids. You know, and I keep thinking we've gotten comfortable with the 60% being good enough, but we got 40% that have for generations have been underserved. And it's time for us as a community. And as public school advocates, activists, to say, let's not fear the 40 and any of the failures that we've had. Let's face them. Let's own them. And let's work to fix it, you know, because if we don't, we're just going to continue down this road and we're going to find ourselves in trouble. A lot of trouble. And we're right now at that cliff. We managed to hold off, but we're right at that cliff. And it's up to us. It's up to all of us to fix it. And I think we can, but we have to change ourselves and we have to be honest with ourselves. And I'm going to tell you, Liza, you know, I've changed a lot. I am not the same person that I was six years ago. And, you know, and I think it's because when you do this work and you see things and you start questioning, what was my responsibility in some of this system? And then you start thinking, I have, I'm have, i culpable as well mm-hmm. in some of this, you know? And then you think, how can I fix that?
0: I think we all need to approach it in a humble, from a humble posture that I don't know everything. I know I have my perspective, but there are other perspectives out there and everybody deserves to be heard. Yeah, I learn every day, you every day. fire inspire me. Lord, you inspire me. And honestly, that whole call to action right there is probably a good place to leave it. But I'm going to ask you one more question. What would you like for decision makers to know? That could be decision makers in Frankfurt. That could be decision makers as voters. That could be decision makers in schools. What would you like them to know? I think that
1: what I would like decision makers to know, and that's just across the board, and I think we kind of hit on it. You know. It's okay to talk less and listen more. It's okay to admit you don't have all the answers. It's okay to be afraid. And it's okay to admit that you're afraid. That would be what I would say to leaders. I would say to leaders that if you want to leave a legacy, then you've got to have people that buy into that mission. You just can't ramrod it. like You actually have to have people that... Buy into that legacy for it to be a legacy. If not, then your legacy is that you're a bully and that you really did things that your own way. And I would say to voters that you have to stay engaged, even if it's you think it's pointless. It's never pointless. People that we have for to get to win, for example, Sherilyn Stevenson, almost every one of her elections, she's won by less than 100 votes. They've been nail biters but she's a true grassroots candidate and they keep throwing stuff for people to run at her and we keep winning with her. And the reason why she's genuine and she's a hard worker. So don't ever give up on that, but mostly never lose sight of your integrity. Never, ever, ever look at an issue at, from one point of view. I always look at it across the board and basically Don't take yourself too seriously on anything because, you know, I mean, ain't none of us getting out of here alive anyway. And the Lord don't care how many degrees you got when you get up to the pearly gates. Trust me on that. He's not going to ask you. So just treat each other well, man. That's all that matters. So that's be that would be my advice.
0: Oh, excellent advice. Thank you so much for being a part of Education Perspectives.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate
0: you. It was good talking to you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Education Perspectives. Feel free to share your thoughts on our Facebook page. Let us know which education perspectives you would like to hear or share. Please subscribe and share with your friends.